beginning <clears throat> John's prologue, hmm, that incense kind of gets to you, doesn't it? That prologue of John's gospel, John was the last gospel to be written. Um, it was probably written by 92 AD. All the other gospels were written maybe 70 to 80. Um, all of them were done before 95. Um, so John's gospel is the last one to be written. And so John more or less takes a very um, philosophical route into who Jesus is. And he starts off with the philosophical question, why is there something rather than nothing? Because if there was nothing, there should still be something. There should still be nothing. And if there's something, that means there has to be a reason for it. And so he starts off with saying, God inside of himself. God is the Word, right? The Word is with God. The Word is God. And everything came through, through the Word of God. We have the, essentially, the Trinity there. We have the Word, we have the person speaking, the Father. We have spoken the Son. And the actually what is, what is spoken is the Holy Spirit. The breath is the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And so he starts off with this. Why is there something rather than nothing? It's just the beginning question. Okay, let's go into, into breaking it down. There is nothing. Okay, well, that means there should still be nothing. There is something. Who made it? God did. And this light and this life that God gave was the human race. And darkness has not overcome it. See, the thing about darkness is darkness doesn't actually exist. It's an absence of light. Because once when I shine a light in darkness, there's light. It's no longer dark. That's really important. Because if darkness was actually a thing, when I shined a light on it, it wouldn't change anything. It'd be more like a black hole. It wouldn't change anything. And so Jesus comes into the world and changes everything. God outside of space and time chooses to become like you and I, and he doesn't do it in a royalist. He doesn't do it in Rome. He doesn't do it in Antioch. He doesn't do it in Alexandria. He doesn't do it in Babylon. He doesn't do it in any of the huge world powers of the day. Where does he choose to become flesh? In a cave. We have the nice manger scene. We have the nice manger scene. Thank you, St. Francis. St. Francis is the one that came up with the modern manger scene. But in Bethlehem, I was privileged to go there. In Bethlehem, it's basically a cave. Um, okay, it is a cave. And what they would do is they would put all their animals under the house in order to warm the house. So they would be under the house with the animals 
in this cave. And in there, there's a hole inside of a star that's about that big, and it's under an altar. And right there it says, the Word became flesh. Right there. And while we were there, we were able, we were privileged to be able to say Mass, not on that altar, but on what they call the manger scene, the manger altar. So where the animals would have been. And that's about eight, ten feet to the right, kind of back. We were able to say Mass there, and as we were saying Mass, just as it was, I was caught between the Eucharist and where God first became flesh. The Eucharist where Jesus is yet again becoming food. Jesus was born and then laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And then he becomes the sacrifice for our life, for life abundant. And in that moment, my heart being pierced, there wasn't a doubt in the world. Jesus is who he says he is. He's God. God became flesh to dwell among us, and God is still dwelling among us in the tabernacle throughout the whole world and dwelling in the hearts of baptized, of the baptized. We become temples of the Holy Spirit, dwelling places of God when we're baptized. Become beloved sons, beloved daughters, even though sometimes we don't act like it. But God didn't want to leave His people alone, and so He goes to... He's telling all through the prophets, I'm sending you a Savior. Since the moment we turned our back on God in the garden, God promised the next chapter a Savior. A people set apart. The Israelites, the prophets, all of that to bring about Jesus to allow Jesus to become one of us. The manger, dirty, not a royal palace, not curtains, dirty, a mess, a train wreck. Not somewhere where you would want a baby, to be born. Yet we're never going to outdo the God in humility. He becomes to a manger. The church right now is kind of a manger. It's got a lot. It's got a lot of things going on. Got a lot of good things, but we've had a lot of bad things. And so as a priest, I just say sorry. Um, A heartfelt sorry. You don't know this necessarily, but in 2012,
12, for you guys, I came home. And I was a seminarian at that point. And I was out here to the parish every other weekend with Bishop Harrington. And there isn't a week that go by that went by while I was in seminary that I didn't think of Blue Earth. Because every time I came, the faith that you shared, that we shared in, was real. It was tangible. It was felt. And so even as a community, I'm sorry those things happened. It should have never happened. It should never happen anywhere, let alone in Jesus' bride, the church. The great part about Jesus is, is he makes holy whatever he touches. And Jesus' whole mission was to make his bride unblemished, make her spotless, give his life early for her. Translates to you and I. He wants us to be spotless. He wants us to be completely forgiven in his precious blood. He wants us to live in harmony, in faith, and in hope. He wants us to be with him for all eternity in heaven where there is no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. Because what brings that on? Death and sin. And those will be no more in heaven. And so today we rejoice that God has chosen to save us. God could have saved us many ways. Many, many, many ways. And yet, He chooses to save us by becoming a baby, an infant. Why? I just mentioned the word politics, and he came as a king. What's our general reaction? Ooh! But if I had mentioned a baby, what's our general reaction? Babies! Yay! My niece and my nephew. My dad becomes a grown man, starts babbling to a baby, starts baby talking to a baby starts making faces at a baby. A grown man starts forgetting where he's at because he's so encapsulated. Why? Because love is looking him in the face and you can't not respond in love. That's why God became flesh as a baby so that we could receive him as we do any other baby. Completely, wholeheartedly. To be able to give love as love is given to me. And the more I'm in that dynamic, the more I want to show my love. In our baptism, we receive that love to become 
beloved, beloved sons and daughters of God. And often I feel like we try to re-gift our baptism. Meaning, I don't really want this. Or, I've done too many things to not have this. And God's never going to take it back. He wants you. You and your mess. Because any good coach does this. Takes you where you're at and makes you better. Makes you more, we can use the word holy. Make you more and more loving. More and more able to receive love in order to give love. God's going to become our food yet again. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that said, this is my body, this is my blood. Not me. He did. If we can't trust truth himself, who can we trust? So wherever we're at today on Christmas, let's just accept the fact that I'm loved by God who created the heavens and the earth. Lastly, today, during the creed, in a sec, we're going to all kneel for the word became flesh and that next stanza. The word became flesh. That's a mystery that we can mull over an entire lifetime. God becoming our food in the Eucharist mull over that our entire lifetime. But let's just accept today that we are loved by God and ask for the grace to pursue that love.